Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Wildstorm Addiction. This is for the weeks of July 28th and August 4th. I'm Ben Murphy. And I'm Joe David Solis. And this week we have a lot to review. We got five good issues to review, so they may be a little bit briefer on the explanations of the issues, but we'll definitely tear into each one of them. I do want to remind everybody that there are spoiler alerts um, in the podcast, but any of the written reviews on the website are spoiler-free unless um, noted. Uh, I also wanted to update everybody on the Wildstorm Addiction site. I updated the About page this week, and that includes bios of both Joe and I. And I also added how we rate comics for the podcast and online. And I added our ratings, a chart of our ratings, so you can actually see what we're, we're rating everything. And you can see our average rating to see how much of a fanboy we are or are not for Wildstorm. <laughs> Which if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that we are not. We've proven that. <laughs> that is true. We've, we've destroyed some comics and we've been very pleased with others, so... I think that that will really help everybody see, you know, what we like and what we don't like and proves that we are not technically fanboys. Joe and I are pretty excited to announce that we will be opening shortly the Wildstorm Addiction shop. (laughs) So pretty soon we will have mostly creator-owned sets before the trades hit the stands available uh, for purchasing. So if you guys are interested, pretty soon... We'll put out the information that you can go and buy. buy. Well, first, we'll have probably Sparta 1 through 6 up there. And, you know, that may take six months for the trade to come out. So if you want to read it early, you'll have two sets available to buy off of us. And a lot of other things. So stay tuned for that. And we also will be presenting some contests coming up. And we'll let you know all about that as soon as we can. And as soon as we have the details figured out. So it's going to be an exciting fall is what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We have a lot of work ahead of ourselves, but we're trying to get you guys involved as much as we can. So, Joe, feel free to take it away with the authority. Yeah, actually the authority lost year, number 11. That's what we're going to talk about first. Written by Keith Giffen and Grant Morrison. The art is by Brendan Badeau with a cover by Gene Ha. If you listen to our podcast that covered number 10... You know how much we gushed and we loved this issue or last issue uh, because mainly because of Brandon Badeau's art, but also, I mean, the story was just incredible. It was basically a what if the Authority uh, revolution hadn't played out the way it did. What if the Authority just took over, you know, the U.S. and kept control? So basically, you know, the Authority in last year had been jumping from Earth, to, uh, Earth, trying to find the original Wildstorm Earth they're from, and they, you know, haven't had any luck. And you know, as you've been listening to us, you know, obviously this series, you know, for the most part, we haven't really been happy with it. But uh, these last two issues, you know, while they ha- while they don't make up for the entire series, they were a very pleasant surprise here at the end because uh, this is issue eleven. We've only got one issue left before this series is done. Like Ben said, we're just going to kind of quickly go through, you know, what happened, and then we're going to get into talking about it. But the the gist is, you know, last issue, uh, you know, our authority was captured by this Earth authority, and this Earth authority has uh, Rose Tattoo in their 
ranks, and they also have the doctor from Warren Ellis's run, which is Jeronin. I can never remember how to say his name. Our authority breaks out of their maximum security prison where all the heroes from this world were basically captured, those who weren't killed, and you got this, you know, crazy jailbreak with uh, Brandon Beddoe's rendition of a lot of our favorite Wildstorm characters uh, breaking out. We get, uh, I'm just going to call him Thorndike. I don't know how to say his first name. <laughs> That's easier. Yeah. Thorndike is basically telling Habib, you know, the, our authority's doctor, how this authority took control, you know, some of the heroes they took out, and there's some really cool flashback scenes. And then, um, you know, Thorndike had basically asked Habib to kill him last issue, and you see the engineer from this world obviously has him bugged. Because she literally burst from his chest like a uh, alien-style chestburster. It's a pretty gruesome scene, but it's pretty cool. You know, she's about to kill Habib. Meanwhile, the authority that are back at the prison are, um, you know, trying to escape Rose Tattoo's forces. And we get an awesome picture of Grifter drawn by Brandon Beto. I'm like, oh, as soon as I saw that, I had to post it on the review. So it's at the side if you want to see it. That's <laughs> just beautiful. Anyway, so... You know, we speed through some battles between our authority and their authority, and uh, ultimately, of course, you know, our authority gets the upper hand, and uh, one of the final battles was actually kind of a surprise. It was between Swift and Rose Tattoo. Our engineer ends up teleporting Rose Tattoo into the sun <laughs> <laughs> for one of the best, best death scenes I've seen in a comic in a long time. At the end, Midnighter is of the opinion that we just need to get the hell out of here, and and uh, the heroes of this world are like, hey, uh, aren't you going to help us? And he's like, you're not our problem. And so the authority, you think, are being jerks again, and they leave. But before they do, Jenny Quantum makes sure to take care of the rest of Rose Tattoo's fleet. And they um, you know, take off to whatever next world they're going to, and then we're left with a very pathetic scene of this Earth's Jenny Quantum and how she's crying because basically her entire authority team has been wiped out and she's the only one left and now she's in a world where it's just her versus all the heroes she imprisoned so what can i say these last two issues were just awesome i mean the art you know brandon Maddow's art in this it's amazing i mean he is so detailed as we've talked about before and it and if you pay attention to some of the things that he does i mean you, you see the prison breakout scene and you see majestic you know taking on an airplane you see battalion using his powers to take out a few troops and even including tearing off one of their legs with one of his psychic blasts still some cameos apparently this world's mall didn't last very long he took something to the face because his face is no doesn't it's not there anymore it's just a smoldering <laughs> rubble one thing that i thought was hilarious ben did you know notice that that thorndike the whole time he's talking he's smoking a joint but they conveniently post the word balloons to where they cover it up <laughs> oh no i didn't notice that you didn't notice that go back and look at it every time as soon as he starts telling the story to to habib he's holding it in his hand oh yeah yeah you're right that's funny yeah and every single panel that it's in the word balloon covers it <laughs> it looked like somebody had editorial is like uh we gotta find a way to fix that you know because obviously you know it already been drawn (laughs) yeah it's funny that wallstorm still takes chances like that and dc steps in it's like no 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 (laughs) 
Remember, play nice, Wildstorm. It's like, all right. Remember the last time they did that was at the end of DNA's authority run where Apollo originally was supposed to walk out of the frozen chamber completely naked, but they changed it to where he's got his suit kind of on. You know, it's, it's kind of like spray-painted on. It looks very weird. But anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is just... I, I just can't say enough good things about these two issues. I mean, if you haven't been reading this because you got frustrated and you just, you know, because the early stories, like we said, we just were not enjoying them for the most part. If you stopped reading last year, just go out and pick up 10 and 11. You know, you you will enjoy them to no end, I promise. I'll let Ben gush for a little while because <laughs> I don't really have anything to say that's not gush-worthy. <laughs> so. No, he he's absolutely right. It, these last two issues have been the saving grace of this title. I mean, they're amazing. Bado's art is top-notch. And I think last time we reviewed issue 10, I was kind of joking, like, I can't believe I'm going to give this title a 9. But, I mean, the art and the story just completely turned around and made this title work. And it's hard not to give this title a nine now, which I did for this issue. Oh, so did I. Yeah, I I did too. (laughs) But I mean, you can just a few numbers back number eight. I gave it two. like, I just, it's so, so has turned around. I think if it's, and it's not traded completely, it's traded in half. And that's kind of a shame because all 12 of these together would make a lot more sense. So, if you guys are waiting for the trade, wait for both of them and read them together. Yeah, definitely. That's not to say that the first few issues won't be hard to get through, because they will. <laughs> uh, but even so, I mean, that's why I say, if, if you've given up on this series, which I'm sure a lot of you have, I, I know a few people on the boards did, you know, just pick up 10 and 11. You know, I don't even know what 12 is going to bring. I don't care. These two, you know, these two are good all by themselves. They really are. They stand alone. They're awesome. I mean, not to say I don't care about 12. I mean, if 12 ends up being really good, too, that's fine. I'm just saying, for now, what's on the stands, these two are definitely worth picking up. All right, moving on. We got Garrison number four of six, written by Jeff Mariotti, and art and cover by Francesco Francavilla. When I first walked into my local comic shop and I saw this on the stand because for some reason they didn't pull it for me, for my sub, I saw the cover and I kind of did a double take and had to make sure that it was the correct issue because I swear we've seen this art so many times on the cover. And I was a little confused by that. I was like, wait, we've already seen this shot. And they chose it as the cover of issue number four. Whatever. Weird. (laughs) It was a little weird. It threw me off. Well, look at the look at the date. It says Francavia 08. <laughs> I'm like, that's, wow. I think that's the promo piece is what it is. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Didn't even notice that. Good call. So, here we have uh, Lester Garrison again. Awesome first name. This issue starts out with Lester finding out that Clark Sullivan is actually going to kill Jillian Bracewell, who is the agent that has kind of been helping him out. Sort of. She's she's been going after them, but realizes that Garrison isn't the person they think he is. So he finds that out and tries to get 
word out to Jillian that she is actually going to be be the one being hunted by her own agency. So he's trying to save her butt now. He does it in an interesting way. <laughs> he does it by randomly going to somebody's window, smashing into the window, grabbing a guy who is sitting next to the window, and, well, shoving his face on a plate of broken glass and then using that guy's blood to write his note to Jillian. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you forgot to mention what that guy was doing before. There was a reason he picked him. Remember, Garrison Uh, has to... (laughs) he, He always has a reason. Yeah, this guy looks like he was robbing whoever was in there or something. Yeah, he has a bat. He's going after a little, like, a younger kid. Pretty awesome. Unfortunately, at the time that that's happened, because Garrison is always their top priority on surveillance, Jillian no longer has access to all the video feeds. So she didn't get his message. And she doesn't realize that she's now a target. Garrison obviously gets found again, is being pursued. This guy never gets a break, I swear to God. He even says he never gets a break at the end of this issue. It's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) There is a pretty awesome sewer action scene that spans a good six pages. Joe wrote an awesome write-up about it because it is is pretty, pretty sweet. You guys are just going to have to buy it and read it because I can't explain how awesome it is. At the end of that scene, he actually knocks out a guy and takes, you know, takes one of the attacker's outfits and switches the clothes. You know, that whole routine. Yeah, but this time he, he looks like them, remember? So. Right, they all, they all look the same. So yeah. <laughs> Other than the fact that he has tattoos and is a little bit more tan because he's out in the real world all the time. <laughs> and I guess they're clones. I mean... They haven't said it straight up, but obviously they are. And supposedly he is, but to be determined. Uh, We go back to Jillian, and she finds out that she's on their hit list. That's real quick. And then we go back to Garrison, and he's in the, the company vehicle, you know, disguised. And realizes that he needs to stop the van because he knows where they're going. Does it very elegantly by blowing the driver's head off and there's another awesome action sequence and that's pretty much the issue i mean garrison is action-packed who needs story (laughs) yeah yeah plot plot is secondary maybe tertiary it's it's fun to read well no wait there is nothing to read it's fun to look at (laughs) (laughs) plots are for the weak (laughs) I gave this issue a 7. It's just fun right now. I mean, what the heck? What did you think, Joe? Yeah, no, I gave it a 7 as well. I'm just enjoying it for what it is. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I think I've said in one of my reviews, you know, this is just Michael Bay right here. If you love Michael Bay movies, here it is in comic form. (laughs) I mean, the the other issues have had some sort of plot development where they've moved the story along. This is the first one that to me really didn't as much. Uh, you know, because it basically just fulfilled what we already knew in the last issue that Jillian you know, was found out for, for whatever reason that, you know, that rival, that Clark Sullivan, the the girl with the guy's name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
you know, we already knew that last issue, and of course we've already known the Garrison's on the run. We've already known that the clones are after him, and that you know they're they're not as they're definitely not as good as him. But the only reason they seem to even give him competition is because they come at him on mass, you know. So I think that was the only thing with me in this issue that really didn't learn anything new. Um, so, I mean, I did I didn't let that affect my rating because. Like I said, you know, Francisco Francavilla's art is what saves this series for me because it's so fun to look at. Basically, you know, how is he going to draw this next death that Garrison, you know, <laughs> performs against somebody? You know, lots of great action scenes. Obviously, like you said, the you know the sewer fight is really cool. I was just going to say that you you know we keep talking about the trades or whatever or read as a whole. You know, um, this one will probably be a quick read. You know, when all six of them are done. And it'll be fun. I mean, it's not, it's not going to be a life-changing comic by any means. Yeah, I don't, you know, unless something really dramatic happens in five and six, which I don't think it will. There might be some, you know, some cool revelations about what's the deal with these clones and whatnot. But beyond that, it's just it's just been a fun comic. I mean, there's nothing much to it. So, but the thing is, I'm enjoying it. That's the difference. You know, I, I I can I can have a comic that you know I don't have to I don't have to have Watchmen with every issue that I you know that I buy, <laughs> you know. So when you don't give me Watchmen, then give me Michael Bay, and I'm happy. So <laughs> no, I agree. I you know, you know, we've said a lot. If you don't enjoy the characters and you don't care about them, then what's the point of reading it? Well, I don't really care about these characters either, but it's a fun ride, so I can't really knock it. Yeah, just enjoy it. All right, but now let's go to one where we do care a lot about the characters, <laughs> which is uh, Wildcats number 25, which is written by Adam Beechin and art by Tim Seeley and Andy Smith, and we have a cover by Al Barrio Nuevo. Uh, first of all, everybody cheer because Wildcats made it to issue 25. Yay! All right. <laughs> For the first time in a long time. You know, as you heard us talk to Adam Beechin about that, of course, him and Tim Seeley are proud to have helped that along. So, this is the issue that everybody's been waiting for. The Midnighter versus Zealot. You know, I can say right away that I was not disappointed at all. You know, when the... Um, <laughs> of course, we get the status report, and it reminds us, you know, that, that uh, the Wildcats are rebuilding in some places. We do have the Troika back in... Uh, <clears throat> back in action, so that's cool. I mean, they don't really—they really don't get any screen time this issue. I think they're just being teased, but I know they're coming. Um, obviously, we're reminded that Aeon, the new character, has appeared, and we'll get to him in a second. And that Grunge is still on a secret mission. And then we open up at the battle with uh, Midnighter and Zealot, with uh, Petrified Girl getting blood splattered on her. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was a great way to open that, and. And then Tim Seeley's opening splash page of uh, Midnighter and Zealot, you know, each connecting a, a hit, you know, was a great shot. That's uh, Yeah, that's the image I picked for the written review, so you can check that out. And You know, Tim Seeley does a great job of choreographing the fight. I mean, um, and Adam Beechin uh, does kind of what he did in, in Gen 13, was it 34? I think where Runt um, narrated the whole issue. Um, well, Petrified Girl doesn't narrate the whole issue, but she does narrate the first part of the fight, <clears throat> which is pretty cool because it kind of gives some insight into why she's there because we all were like, 
why did Petrified Girl go with Zelot, you know, and Maul and Cybernary? I told you there was a reason. Yeah. <laughs> Not really a good one, but whatever. Well, she's there. Enough, I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, you know, she's basically just, the gist of it was that she, you know, liked what Zelot was going to do and decided to go with her. And, um, so yeah, Tim Seeley, like I said, gives us a great choreographed fight, and what I like, too, is that we don't really focus on the fight the whole time. I mean, we get the first about six pages, uh, six or eight pages worth of the fight. I love that the fight goes in stages, too, is that, um, you know, they start hand-to-hand, and then, you know, Midnighter basically picks up a rock, so Zella's like, oh, okay, we're going to play that way? We said no weapons, so let's move to weapons. So, you know, that's going to be the next phase of the fight. But before we get to that, you know, we get a quick interlude about the the Troika attacking the teams that are Victoria Falls. You know, we get a quick little cameo by, uh, is it, uh, is it Love Rocket? I can never remember what order, if it's Rocket Love or Love Rocket. <laughs> it's funny because I like that character, even though she's pretty brand new. It's Love Rocket. Is it? Okay. <laughs> I believe so. I hope that's right. I don't remember. You have me second guessing myself now. <laughs> well, it's just that name. It could work either way. I mean, so, but uh, I hope she's not dead. <laughs> that's all I gotta say. Then we get back to the mystery of Aeon, um, who basically shows up and tells you know Battalion Lady Tron and Spartan and Voodoo and that group you know that he's here to help our Earth and you know understandably the heroes are kind of iffy about that especially considering that uh, he seems to be pretty powerful um, one of my favorite comments was where um, Battalion telling them yeah we have two associates aboard our satellite headquarters and Aeon just turns and is like ah oh, I see them it's like you see them from the earth <laughs> you know <laughs> so that I mean that was like wow just little things and obviously he gives little clues here and there he tells Spartan that that Spartan knows him, but basically that's not important because we got to deal with all the unleashed <clears throat> magic that's in the world. And there's, uh, you know, a really cool scene where basically a magical geyser erupts from the ground. Uh, remember, they're in Salem, which is appropriate, I guess. You know, they're going to parts of the world where where magic is heavily used, or and um, so you know, Aeon and the and that group have to deal with that and some humans that are randomly transformed into monsters by the magical eruption. So, fun, fun, fun. And Spartan is starting to feel frustrated about the fact that, you know, he can't go down and help because he has no legs. And Link, good old Link, tells him, he's like, yep, I figured you'd want some legs, so I've been working on something. And So we get a little tease there that Spartan's going to get some brand new legs soon. And then back to the fight. And, you know, like I said, Zelot and Midnighter are, are down to weapons now, and they're beating on each other, and she finally stabs Midnighter. And basically, Zelot, you know, I say she beat him. <laughs> but I'm sure a lot of people will argue. <laughs> because, she, you know, they didn't beat each other with hand-to-hand or weapons, so she basically beat him with psychological warfare by calling out the fact that he didn't protect Jenny Quantum. And, you know, she's been missing since World's End began. So that sends him into a rage, and 
you know, but of course Midnighter doesn't give up and you know, they're basically about to finish each other off and that's when Petrified Girl's narration finishes off in a very humorous way because she gets knocked out by a mall who freaks out and runs towards them and knocks Petrified Girl out. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> you see Cybernary going airborne too. <laughs> <laughs> so then you get then you get a little bit of Jeremy's internal dialogue and you know, they kind of play with time a little bit here because apparently in the in the instance where he rushed towards them, Zealot's instincts caused her to slice at him, and his only reaction in that split second was to shrink down to a size where her blade would not cut him because it would kill him. So he shrinks into what seems like nothing because to their point of view, it looks like he disappears. And basically Zealot tells Midnighter, well, it's all, you know... We're just going to continue without him, and she takes off and leaves Midnighter there, you know, pretty messed up. And back at the <clears throat> fight against the magical creatures and the geysers, we get a nice little cameo by Team Achilles, <clears throat> which I'm sure a lot of fans will appreciate. Um, I'm sure we'd like some more screen time with them, but hey, the cameo's good for now. And, uh, you know, they clean up by getting some help from, from Mago, or Mago, I don't know how you say his name, of the Paladins. And finally, Aeon decides to basically take all the magical geyser energy into himself. Yeah, the heroes freak out about that. Because <laughs> uh, Aeon's starting to show himself to be very powerful, so they um, they try to get some answers from him. He basically tells them that he's some sort of a guardian that's meant to patrol, and he was you know, patrolling another sector of the galaxy, and that's why he wasn't here when Earth got attacked, and so now he's trying to fix it the best he can, and he decides to take them all to Egypt before they have a decide they have a chance to uh, argue. <laughs> and then finally we uh come back to Grunge who is working on his plan to spy on Lynch and Team 7 who have left and Spartan is suspicious of them so he actually chose Grunge to spy on them and just like I'm sure Spartan knew he would Lynch when Grunge talks to him Lynch is basically <laughs> In essence, telling when Grunge tells him, "Hey, you know, Spartan made me his second in command." Lynch is, for the most part, like, "Good boy, you know, good job." <laughs> and okay, you know, I'll talk to you later. Well, Grunge takes that opportunity to use a miniature door as a basically like a peephole to follow them, just to find out what they're doing. We end the issue with uh, a quick little. Tidbit, uh, uh, if you heard our interview, Adam Beach said the next issue is going to focus on Warblade. Here we see why him and that uh, nurse that was taking care of him named Luisa are going to go look for her family. And we see Midnighter walk in all beaten and bloody, and he just silently walks into his room and pulls out a picture of him, Jenny Quantum, and Apollo, and just sits there silently. And it's just it was a really awesome scene to show that... You know, Midnighter's always toted as this crazy psychopath killing machine. But here, you get to see, you know, that there is <clears throat> something about Midnighter that, you know, he's not just a killing machine all the time. He he cares, obviously, for his daughter and, you know, his husband. And so that was a really, really powerful scene. Adam Beaton's been really good about giving us some, some great quiet scenes. You know, this one, I really liked the one with Grunge. You know when Spartan first told him about taking second command. So, um, just another solid issue. I give this issue an eight. I mean, like I said, I've been so happy with this run. I there's 
nothing to complain about. It's, it's just solid storytelling all the way around. If, if my only complaint would be a nitpick would be, you know, for it to be, you know, 48 pages, you know, so that way we could get some more of the other stories in. But for now, this is this is great. So, yeah, I I also gave it an eight. I so wanted to give this a nine. There was so much build up for this fight, but yeah, I mean Adam Beechin is he's got like a amazing shrinking ray or something. He packs so much story into twenty two pages. It's insane how much is going on in these issues. Yeah, I enjoyed it through and through. One thing that I thought was funny was just thinking about this whenever you're you know going through it is could you imagine if grunge wasn't using the door technology for good <laughs> oh <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised if at some point in the future he did use that but the thing is all his teammates are gone i mean well there's obviously older women here you know that are around but everybody's off doing something so it's it's not like those of you who have read Gen 13 for a long time may remember a gag from Jacob Campbell's run where they didn't show it. Grunge talked about it, where he he um, made himself like a into a bed sheet on on Caitlin's bed, you know, and they just mention it later because she's still mad at him about that. So point is, it's been a long time since there's been in an environment where he can do stuff like that. But I'm sure he'll find a way if he, he so desires. Grunge loves him some ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's just, this is just a solid title. I mean, there's there's comics out there that they kind of go up and down <clears throat> in their quality depending on the run and who's doing them. You know, and then when you when you get one like this where it's like you just read it and you just enjoy it. I mean, like I said, it doesn't have to be Watchmen every time for me, but I want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy every aspect of it. I want the, you know, the art is good. Obviously, Tim Staley's art is really good. The story's good. It's a good comic. I mean, that's all there is to it. There's no, there's no, nothing else to say about it. So, pretty much, go read it. All right. Next up, The Authority number twenty-five, written by Tom Taylor, art by Al Barrionuevo. And this cover was the Howard Porter, Alan Martinez, and Wes Hartman cover. So, we have a quick status update. The status updates in the Authority are getting much smaller. Um, the carrier basically is is flying away from Mondragon, the big, huge, octopus, scary thing in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> this... This issue is a little bit slower in the fact that they just had two solid issues of just nonstop action fighting, trying to get away from this thing. So there's a lot of recapping and a lot of fixing things. Um, the first couple issues are, are all the heroes wondering what the heck Jack was thinking, bringing his gun onto the board, on on board to the carrier. Because this thing could easily take out the carrier. And they all know it. And there's some great one-liners about it. But he actually goes into a little bit of Gamora history. About how he found this huge EMP. Basically is what this thing is. And a lot of people aren't too happy about it. So much so 
that Angie, the engineer, wants to spank him. (laughs) (laughs) And she comes down to do it, but basically says, hey, there's a lot of hurt people from the fight that are on board. We got to go fix it. And Jack actually steps up from this point and takes the lead. That is after Flint kicks the G and out of the airlock. In the crotch. In the crotch. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. But so Jack starts spouting out all these orders and Rainmaker's like, really? Turns to Christine and is like, really? Should we be following this guy? He's a total jerk. And Christine's like, sure, I want everybody to do exactly what Jack said, but with a please at the end. Yeah. <laughs> So they have to set up a triage. They have to they have to find any doctors, any people with medical backgrounds, and and basically just start finding people in the rubble. I mean, that Aegean got thrown through four fl- floors in the carrier by Roxy, basically. And there was a lot more mayhem that went on than that. Um, we flip over to to Deathblow and and Swift, and they're both in bed. What's funny is Deathblow gets right up. I I can't believe that he's fine. I mean, he has a neck brace on and he's laying down for I don't know a few hours, and he's like, "All right, let's go." <laughs> it's that Team Seven mojo, baby. <laughs> he's a pimp. <laughs> Jack takes Deathblow and Grifter to his armory, which is awesome because Grifter has the best one-liner on <laughs> earth. You, you want to give the one-liner? <laughs> Yeah, basically, Grifter walks into the armory, and Deathbell's like, crap. And Grifter's like, I know, the choice isn't the only thing that's hard. <laughs> <Ba-dum>, boom, <laughs> And there is discussion at the boards about what exactly we see in the visual that is Grifter's pants in this scene. So, I don't know, it's debatable. But I, only, only Al Barrio Nuevo knows for sure. But I will tell you, after meeting Tom Taylor in person, I would not put it past him <laughs> to put that in his script. <laughs> I just think, you know, the carry is really big, and they need to have <laughs> snacks on them at all time. And he was just, you know, <laughs> he had a banana down there because he was like, at some point, I might need some potassium. <laughs> so. You just keep telling yourself that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, Awesome shot. Anyways, so the carrier rolls up on this Jovian planet, and the carrier gets stuck in a tractor beam. Angie can't control it, and basically there's a spaceport floating, you know, in the atmosphere of this planet, and it looks like all the ships around in that platform are docked, but what we quickly find out is they're more like trophies. And the tractor beam pulls the carrier down onto this huge spike. And Angie is on the ground next to Jack as everybody kind of got knocked onto the ground because it was a huge kind of rocked the whole ship as the spike went through the heart of the carrier, basically. And Angie's laying on the ground naked saying that she lost contact with the carrier and that she thinks that it was killed. We flip over to Deathblow and Grifter, and it looks like they're with all the people on the carrier, and they see all these doors, and he basically says, this doesn't look like a diplomatic situation, and the title of the issue is Grifter saying, oh, 
this is going to suck. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was awesome how Tom did that. Yeah. <laughs> so, as I have to continue gushing about the authority because Tom is doing a fantastic job, I gave this another eight. This issue I've given nines and tens to already because it is so good. And these guys just keep continuing to knock it out month after month. What do you think, Joe? Yeah. No, same here. Like I said, I just, uh, I don't know what I'm waiting for, I guess, with the ratings. I know, you know, some of y'all are like, well, you've been stuck on an 8 forever. I know, but it's because I don't want to push it to a 9 until, you know, something happens that just really blows me away. And I certainly don't want to take away from it, you know, because, yeah, I think the one thing that it's understandable, you know, we had to, we had to slow things down a bit, the, uh, after, like you said, everything that happened the previous, and, you know, uh, Jack did have to give an explanation for the gun, and it was cool how uh, tied back to Kaisen Gamora and, and, and uh, the end of DNA's authority run. You know, so, so that's good that the writers are kind of, um, you know, stacking up on the stories as they go along based on what's come before. You know, <laughs> and yeah, uh, when Angie does spank Jack, yeah, she ain't going to use her hand, that's for sure. <laughs> Because Jack, I mean, you know, obviously everybody, he, Jack is, is, you know, acted the jerk before. You know, that's that's not, nothing new for him. But you would have thought, uh, part of what's really cool about his character is that you can tell, you know, he's one of the ones that got knocked down the hardest at the beginning of World's End. You know, he lost his powers. He lost connection to all the cities. You know, so he, he really got affected. And then when he got his powers back, you know, a lot of people were like, well, he's... He's back. He's acting like his old self. Nothing changed. I don't think so. I think here you're starting to see that something did change with Jack, which I love the fact that here he is. Yeah, he's still trying to play the old Jack Hawksmore, the authority. Like he said, we're just going to tell him what to do. What We know what's best. You know, this is why basically we, we exist. And the others are starting to say, no, this is the reason the world is the way it is, because of us, because of our attitude. You know, we're not going to do this anymore. You know, and you see, there, I mean, there's some there's some scenes where you see Jack's face and just the disappointment, you know, and kind of the the regret. And it's like, he is starting to understand, yeah, maybe they're right, you know. <laughs> and like now, I was really, I was really proud of Roxy for stepping up. <laughs> And being like, I'm not gonna follow your orders anymore. You know, you're you're a jackass, basically. You know, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yay, Roxy. You know, because <laughs> uh, basically, her and Rainmaker, even Rainmaker too. As soon as they got there, you know, they were like, you know, you two do this and you two do that. I mean, they're, they're the kids of the group, so obviously they're they're not gonna have a say so. But it's like. They finally stepped up. And by the way, for those of you who are wondering, some of the images that I saw at SDCC, one of them is in here. It's the one where they first teleport down and they see all the chaos and uh, Roxy's kneeling down and she says, oh my God. Uh, that's one of the images they showed. So now now it makes sense to me in context. Again, you know, even though the issue kind of started slow, I mean, once... You know that they have arrived at their destination. You know, Tom Taylor gives us a great twist. You know, it's like we all thought that the carrier was being called back for something good, and all of a sudden it's like no. You know, something could have possibly killed the carrier. And there's some great, more great sci-fi stuff. You know, it's like 
you know, he talked about this being a what a Chthonian planet, which I looked up. You know, it's 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 just it's just a a theory. It's a scientific theory. You know, Tom Taylor worked it in here into the into his script, and it's again more cool sci-fi. That's been his strength in writing this. Is he's brought a lot of cool sci-fi uh, aspects to this, which is appropriate, obviously, because of the setting for this story. I think when I was talking to him, he I think that's why they said that. That's why they resolved the uh, vampire thing so quickly. Because they were like, no, no, we're in space. We're not going to do that. We need to do other things, you know. Yeah. So um, I'm pretty sure we discussed that at some point. I don't remember. Maybe it's that night at the bar. It's coming back to me slowly. I O destroyed it. Clark's bar is making fun of me about that that I couldn't remember. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the end. You know, it's like yeah, the carrier. She thinks the carrier is dead, and then all the doors opening, and yeah, this does look like it's going to suck. But in a good way, in in a way where it's going to be awesome to see what Tom's got next for us. You know what? What is the story behind this? It's essentially like a Venus flytrap or something. You know, it's like got lured in and just clamped down on its prey, which just happens to be the carrier. You know, I mean, nothing. Just small prey, right? The carrier. <laughs> so it's not like we already had Mondragon dwarf the carrier. Now we've got a space something that looks like a space station that the dwarfs both Mondragon and the carrier, you know? It's like, just keeps getting bigger and worse and bigger the, the further out in space they get, so... Yeah, it, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, he does not a great job of the sci-fi. Like, I'm really excited to learn more about this planet. Unfortunately, I know that they probably can't stay on it for longer than an issue or two. But, I can't wait to read the next one. I think they've got like four left. Um, I think 29 comes out in in December, right? Because here we are, August, September, October, November, December. Yeah, four issues left for this creative team. We'll see where they go. I can't believe we've only got four issues left. Seems like we just started reading this. Anyway, now, <laughs> the one I know y'all have all been waiting for. Drum roll, please. <laughs> Sparta USA, number six of six. <laughs> <laughs> Written by David Lapham with art and cover by Johnny Timmons. Well, we've made it to the end, Ben. We survived Sparta. <laughs> Just barely. Just barely. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what book we reviewed in issue five and six. This is a totally different comic than one, two, three, and four. <laughs> <laughs> this is like five and six are like ultimate sparta you know <laughs> it's like one through four we're like okay this is kind of what sparta is like and it's like no issue five and six this is sparta <laughs> you know it's like you know brett uh, what's his face uh yelling in 300s like this is sparta <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> because i mean <sighs> why <laughs> like i started my review why 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 didn't we get to this part of the story earlier you know why did we have to take so long to get to this because I, I mean obviously you'll tell me in a second but I can tell you that I actually enjoyed this last issue that's you know some really cool stuff in it still some stuff that didn't get explained but I you know I'm kind of used to that already <laughs> with this you know like um, and her name is Nora by the way <laughs> couldn't remember her name last issue Nora 
She's the one on the cover of issue five. Her send-off by Gottfried is basically pulling this little, what looks like a toy bridge out of his bag of tricks and setting it up, and the bridge expands, and these two light beings walk down the bridge, and they carry off Nora's body. And they don't explain it, but you know what? I don't care, because that was cool. <laughs> you know? In fact, I love that um, Johnny, the other quarterback, <laughs> talks about it. <laughs> you know, because Wanda McLean shows up, and she's like, what happened? And he's like, well, Nora's dead. Godfrey did some magic bridge. Uh, shoot one, I don't know. <laughs> 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 like, Johnny, you don't know how much we agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> If there's one statement that any character in this whole series made that is relevant, it's that right there. Because we don't know either, Johnny. All we know is that this this issue, it is, it this turns from a David Lapham movie. I'm mean, sorry, Lapham, uh, not David Lapham, David Lynch, <laughs> David Lynch movie to Red Dawn. Which if you've never seen Red Dawn, you know, go go rent it because uh, <laughs> this is the revenge issue, you know, Sparta gets their revenge on the Nazis, who've only been here for one issue, you know, so it's not, you know, they haven't been here long enough to really declare true revenge, you know, because you need time to hate your enemy, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we get uh, we get some great action of, you know, Gottfried and Johnny, both on horseback, wielding swords and guns, and, you know, Gottfried pulls out you know, a flaming sword and takes out a tank and, you know, apparently, like I said, they they start their, basically their resistance movement against the Nazis. And here's the thing, all this stuff is packed into one issue, but they go through the seasons here. You know, apparently, Gottfried makes it snow, <laughs> you know, so it's like they fight the Nazis in the snow now. And, and then all of a sudden, just the Yetis show up, you know, and... <laughs> The Yetis that came out like in issue three, and you know, you get a great shot of a Yeti punching his fist through a Nazi. I mean, only in Sparta. <laughs> the one cool thing I will say is that this, you know, and I'm going to spoil it, but like we said, we'll spoil we spoil the issues here. So, you know, last issue we found out that the that the Maestro was the Pied Piper of Hamlin, and I'm like, what? That doesn't make where'd that come from? You know. Here, I actually really like the explanation. It's basically that all the children he led away in the in the traditional story, he left them in the mountains and you know groomed them to his different whatever uh, plans he had. So he he took one group in and made them into this you know all American place, which was Sparta. He took another group and made them all Nazis, you know. <laughs> and according to Godfrey, there's other groups out there that the maestro did too it's kind of like his ongoing revenge against the people who uh you know screwed him over in the classic fairy tale i i really that was a cool premise i mean like that's obviously the premise that that, that he went to wildstorm with and yeah it's a great premise i just don't know why it took so long to get to yeah at the end you know you think that godfrey's going to get his chance at the maestro but no you know good old backstabbing wanda mclean gets johnny to do just that stab Godfrey in the back with this big giant golden knife <laughs> and so Maestro takes off with a huge amount of the Sparta population and Godfrey awakens to you know a few of the uh, Spartans do we call them Spartans I guess <laughs> a few of the Spartans still around 
And, uh, you know, with the maestro gone, then they know that they can have kids. Now they don't have to wait for the quote-unquote stork like they thought they did. <laughs> you know, and it uh, basically leaves the, the, the issue open-ended to where, you know, Lapham could do a sequel if he wanted of Godfrey chasing down the maestro and the other Spartans that he took, which... By the tease image at the end, Hollywood is apparently where Godfrey is going next. So, I just stuck with my seven. I couldn't. I was like, I enjoyed it. <clears throat> like I said, I don't know if I needed all those issues to get to this place. It was, in the end, a cool story. But only at the end was it a cool story. You could have showed me issue one, and then skipped to five and six, and I would have enjoyed the series a much. A lot more. Anyway, what do you think, Ben? <laughs> do you really want to know what I think? <laughs> I gave this a five, which is actually pretty darn good in my mind. Because that's an average rating. I, I had to keep thinking about it on a whole. I thought about reading issue number one, and then I thought about reading issue number six, and there was a whole lot of garbage in the middle that made no sense at all. And it was pretty much pointless. And you're right. He did go to Wildstorm, you know, probably saying, hey, I want to write about the Pied Piper. What the heck was the first four issues for? Yeah. <laughs> Do you need that much, that much exposition to, like, really talk about the Pied Piper? It was insane. No, it's true. I mean, it really... Uh, yeah, I, I just... There was just so much stuff that could have been left out or, or kind of reworked in a different way, you know. I just w- all I wanted was the Nazis to get here earlier. That's all, you know. <laughs> That's all. I mean, if you want to leave all that other stuff in, fine. Put the Nazis every other page, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I felt like as we moved along, each issue, the art got more and more rushed. Because this one, there were some rough panels. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Not to say that it was bad, but I was... A little disappointed. Yeah, yeah, because Johnny Timmons did do some really good art, especially. I mean, the first issue, even last issue, you know, it, just some panels. You could tell he took more time than others. I mean, when the Nazis first appear, you know, some scenes with a tank that look like they're photo referenced, you know, which they could be. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Sparta overall as a series is just okay. I mean, the payoff was not worth all that we had to go through i think um so just just my opinion but you know we followed it to the end i know a lot of people who dropped it <laughs> within those first three issues you know that was our first full mini series by the way yeah that's true <laughs> yeah we've been long enough to have covered one full crater mini series so. moving on some of the other wildstorm releases for the weeks that we're covering um, August 4th, Kane and Lynch number one came out, which there's been a lot of reviews out on the internet for, and apparently it's pretty good. People are digging it, so go check it out. And Tom Strong and the Robots of Doom number three released. New digital comics offerings, courtesy of Comixology.com. They range in price from $0.99 cents to $1.99 for those that like their comics in pixels. Under the Wildstorm category, Ex Machina 1 and 2 came out, so they're going to start releasing those, I would assume, which is cool because issue number 50 is releasing next week or something like that. 
So that series is wrapping up, and if nobody's read that, it's a great way to catch up on it. Gen 13, number 25 and 26. Stormwatch PhD, number 17 and 18. Supernatural Origins 4 and 5. The Authority, number 5 and 6. And the original X-Files, number 1 and 3. And for some reason, number 2 is skipped. Or we couldn't find it on Comixology for some reason. Not sure why it's not there. And the Wildcats, number 5 and 6. And Planetary 8 and 9. Under DC on Comixology, you can find the Planetary Batman, Night on Earth. Planetary JLA crossover, Terra Occulta. Red Faction Armageddon number one is free. And Red Faction Gorilla number one is also free. Red Faction is a mature title, so you'd have to sign into Comixology to view those free titles. But it's free to sign up. So if you want to check out Comixology and everything that DC has to offer, go check them out. Um, by the way, Red Faction is now under Wildstorm. I emailed them about that because that's a Wildstorm release. So, but they changed it. It's oh, back okay. under Wildstorm now. Good. So, but anyway, well, that's all we have for tonight, folks. And um, like we said, just keep an eye out for our store. We'll have that up soon. We'll definitely have Sparta 1 through 6 up there if you want to give them a try uh, way before the trade comes out or even if the trade comes out. We don't know yet, so... Um, uh, we will be talking to you guys in a couple of weeks. Do you want to tell them where they can find us? Do I? Yeah, do you. Oh, you know what? <laughs> you know what that, would, that, that, what that would entail? Me scrolling down in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is too hard for me to do, apparently. <laughs> I can fly down there and break your fingers. <laughs> but that's not going to help my scrolling ability. <laughs> yeah, but at least then you'll have an excuse. <laughs> anyway, if you want to get a hold of us, <laughs> you can find me at Twitter, at Grifter78. Uh, you can look us both up at the Wildstorm Resource Wiki. Uh, uh, ben is YoYoMaster146 there. And uh, that's at wildstormresource.webpaint.com. Or you can follow the podcast at Twitter, at WildstormAddict. Or you can just simply email us at WildstormAddiction at gmail.com. So, now, okay, now that I've told you how you can find us now, I can say goodbye, right? <laughs> yes, you <laughs> All right, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> See you later.